Have you ever been part of a team that was so inspiring, united, and healthy that it led to great growth both within and beyond it? Have you ever been part of a team that grew, but more than that, that grew you and brought out the best of you? The fascinating thing about teams is not just how they effect change to the world around them, but also how they deeply change us. Have you noticed how much your personal growth has to do with how the teams you're a part of are growing too? Fascinating studies on the power of social influence have revealed that this influence reaches beyond the surface and informs even our own decisions. Did you know that if a friend of yours becomes obese, you are 45% more likely to gain weight over the next two to four years? In another study among the couples in the UK, researchers found that if one partner stopped smoking, exercised more, and ate better, the other partner was much more likely to make positive health behavior changes than if their partner remained unhealthy. Now, this doesn't mean that we should throw away our relationships if they are unhealthy. In fact, the opposite is true. If you are close to someone who is struggling to be healthy, you are their lifeline. Your health matters not just to you, but to them. Our teams shape us so much that the American Society of Training and Development claims that the odds of a person performing an action to meet their goal go up by up to 65% when you have an accountability partner, as opposed to simply just trying to do it by yourself. Our identity is deeply intertwined with our communities. And when we are in growing teams, we grow. When we commit to growing in teams, they grow. In fact, nothing multiplies without great teams. Today, I want to speak to you about how we can grow as we grow in community. I've entitled my talk today as a continuation of Malta's talk last week, Grow to Multiply. We're going to be reading from Ephesians 4 verse 11 to 16, and the words will come up on the screen. Let me read them for you. It says in verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith, in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. How do we grow as the body of Christ? And how do we grow as people who are part of this team? What we've just read is really Paul's handbook for the church's purpose and team culture. And he outlines three ways we can grow well, three ways we can grow as a body. And they apply to every team that we work in as well. The first, according to Paul, is to grow together, unity. The second is to grow up, maturity. And the third is to grow in love. So firstly, grow together. Around AD 62, as Paul sat somewhere in a Roman prison, he wrote this letter to a budding team, a new church plant located in the city of Ephesus. Paul had spent about three years there, pioneering a new church in a primarily Gentile society. Now, most of the people in this church were non-Jews, which meant that they were diverse, 
but also unfamiliar with religious laws, and they had very little experience in living in a healthy, flourishing community. And I wonder if that's how you may feel today. Perhaps this is all new to you. You may not even consider yourself a religious person, and somehow you found yourself here on this YouTube page. Or maybe you're struggling to find your place in the team. Maybe there's a team that you're struggling to grow in. Paul's first injunction for growing healthy teams is to grow together. In every successful body of people, unity is what will make or break them. Take a look at verse 11. Paul wrote, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Elsewhere in another letter, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them to the people. He was writing about gifts that were given to persons who were then, using their gifts, served others, gifts like wisdom, knowledge, healing, and prophecy. But here, in this letter, he doesn't talk about gifts given to people, but people given as gifts. Christ himself gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Why does he say that? I think he calls them gifts from Christ because God doesn't use talent and abilities alone to grow his church. He uses people who are willing to be used, available to be grown, to grow his church. He uses people to build people. And Paul mentions five kinds of people who are these gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Who are they? And who are you if you look through them? The apostles are the ones who have been called by God to be sent as God's emissaries and ambassadors. In Greek, the word uh, apostle means apostolos, which means the one who is sent off. And this both points to the specific 12 apostles that were chosen and sent by Jesus himself, but also in a wider sense, us who are sent into the world as God's emissaries, called to be salt and light to the world. And then there are the prophets, messengers of God, who hear from and speak for God to build his people. Paul listed prophecy as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Third, the evangelists. The evangelists are people who are gifted in bringing and sharing good news of God's love to others. The pastors are those who are gifted in shepherding others, who guide, protect, and grow people under their care. And then finally, the teachers. These are people whose primary role is to make the complex clear, the distant near. They turn ideas into practice. And I wonder which of these fivefold ministries do you have? Because God blesses the church with these gifts of people. And Paul wrote that this five-fold ministries, diverse and divinely given, will be used for a common goal, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, different leaders are deployed to raise different people for different works of service to bring diverse people into unity in Christ. And did you know that the word service means ministry? It means every person in church is a minister. Your ministry extends beyond what you see on a Sunday at church to everything that you do for God on a weekday. I wonder if you've ever been part of a disunited team. And nothing can be more joyful than to grow in a growing united team, but nothing can be more heartbreaking than to be part of a fractured team. And this line, to equip his people 
for works or service? This line alone gives us three components for what makes the ingredients of a united team. Firstly, people. Secondly, working together. And thirdly, serving together. When I was in high school, I, I learned a harsh lesson about unity. I was part of the prefectorial board. Uh, we were supposedly leaders that were meant to serve our school and fellow students, but mostly we were just keen to skip class in the name of prefect duties. Every year, we would come together for a prefect's camp. And out there in the jungle, we would try to build some unity among this prefectorial board to grow as a team of prefects. In one of our prefects camps, I remember really clearly we were going to a particularly dense jungle for our camp. Now, this was a place that was so remote that there were no street lamps at night to walk from the canteen to the campsite. And so the adult camp instructor told us to bring our torchlight with us to shine our way through the darkness to get back. One evening when I was there in the camp, I, I left my torchlight behind. And somehow I was alone in the canteen and I needed to get back to the campsite. So I decided to walk back on my own through the darkness of the jungle to get back. It was so dark, I could barely see anything. I might as well just close my eyes and walk back. And I remember I, I, I kept walking, just trying to find the stream so that I wouldn't fall into it. And about five minutes into the walk, I suddenly saw this strange light that was located in the middle of the road. And it was like this mysterious illumination that looked something like an alien thing. It had moving hair with lights coming out of it. And I just stopped right in my tracks. I was all alone and I knew that I had a choice. Turn back now and I'll never know what that alien glowing hair on the ground was or just keep walking and start praying. And I thought I still need to get to the campsite eventually anyway. So I just started praying under my breath and I kept walking nearer towards this glowing thing. And the nearer I got to this thing, the more freaked out I was. It seemed to move more, and it kept growing bigger. And that's when I started singing all the hymns I could remember from children's church. And when I finally got within one meter of the thing, I stopped and I looked at this hair-like light. And I still didn't know what it was, but before I could understand more, about 20 people jumped out of the shadows and shouted, bah! and I gave the loudest, manliest scream I had ever given in my 16-year-old life. And then I had to endure another five minutes of my friends laughing at my scream. I was so embarrassed. I was so annoyed. And maybe it was that combination of being alone and then being scared, only to realize this was a silly prank of people uniting together to scare me. I then quickly said, hey, let's scare the next person who's coming. And it's funny, isn't it, that sometimes we mask our shame by putting the spotlight on someone else so that that spotlight is no longer on us. And so we all got into the bushes again uh, and we set that weird alien hair light on the ground and then we waited. And moments later, we heard footsteps coming closer to that light. We saw the shadow of a person walking alone in the dark, coming cautiously nearer to the light. And then... We jumped out and we went, bah! but there was silence. No manly scream back, just silence. And I started to get quite worried. What if we just gave, gave this person a heart attack? And so I got my torchlight, I put some light on his face. It was the camp instructor himself. And he wasn't smiling. In fact, the only other time I saw him smile was later on when we had to run around the field for 10 times as a punishment for this prank. Paul says unity is made up of three things. People, working together, 
serving together. You can't have true unity without these three things. And just with people coming together, there's nothing achieved. Just with people coming together to work together, you may achieve something, but it's not always good. In fact, much like my band of prankster friends, it rarely led to anything good when people came together just to work together. True unity involves people, people coming together to work together for service. And that's why verse 16, Paul describes unity like this. The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now take out a common cause that is oriented on bringing value to others. Your teamwork eventually shrivels into navel-gazing and self-destructive behaviors. But how do you find a common cause that is oriented on serving others? Your cause must be grounded on a common belief system and a constant truth. And this is why in verse 13, Paul says, reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, your faith in God and the truth of the Word of God, Jesus, is what makes your unity meaningful. You see, unity that isn't based on a common truth is superficial and spineless. It breaks up as soon as the utility of that union is spent. But unity that is based on a common truth is unstoppable. As Mother Teresa said, I can do things you cannot. You can do things I cannot. Together, we can do great things. So what makes a healthy team? A team that grows together and with a shared purpose to serve with a common belief system that is predicated on Christ's love. Now, maybe you are struggling with unity in your home, the most important team there is, or in your workplace. Maybe you're going through a time of conflict with your team. You can know that unity is possible when we share the same faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Unity is the call of the church. It's the heart of Christ. In John 17, Jesus prayed, my prayer is not just for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. How do we grow? First, we choose to grow together. Second, we choose to grow up. In verse 13 and 14, Paul continues to write until we reach unity and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then he says, then we will no longer be, be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there uh, by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Here, maturity is described in terms of a journey. We begin first as infants, and then we grow to be more like Christ. But along the way, there'll be waves and winds. And these waves and winds refer to teaching and cunning and scheming, the intentional ploys to distract and disrupt your growth, to pull you away from your true destination of growth, a little bit like a strange highlight light in the middle of a dark road. You see, to be mature is to be steady and centered in a world of changing winds and tossing waves. You know, we all have teachers. These teachers are not just the people who stand in front of us in our classrooms. These teachers are the people, sources, and places that form us and become our frames of reference. I'm reminded of that line that Bane had as he confronted Batman before breaking his back. At that point, until that point, uh, Batman met Bane, 
Batman always had an upper hand with the criminals that he fought because Batman had learned how to see well in the dark and could take them by surprise. But one day, Batman faces Bane and his, it's his greatest villain until that point. And he's a totally different villain. Suddenly, there was someone who could see Batman's every move in the shadows because he was trained there. He was a man who was raised in the dark, thought by the dark, and then his home had made him who he was. And Bane said this line, you think darkness is your ally? You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. And then he proceeded to break Batman in a way that no villain ever did. More than our temporary human teachers, it is often our environments that teach us who we are. It's been estimated that the average person sees around 10,000 ads per day and spends about 2 hours and 24 minutes on social media every day. Now, you may not have an evil teacher trying actively to teach you false teachings, but Paul writes about winds and waves, that which is environmental and around us. It may even look natural that can either form us or deform us. And I wonder if, like Bain, you may have been in the dark for a while, molded by that environment, so that you have now become like its student. Jesus said in Luke 6 verse 40, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. This year, if you will make Jesus' character your reference point, if you will make the fruit of the Spirit your reference for growth, to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, you will grow in your maturity to the fullness of Christ. The call of every Christian disciple is to grow. The call of every Christian leader is spiritual multiplication, to make disciple-making disciples. But before we can grow others, we must first grow up. And this is where Paul very helpfully gives us some practical handles on what maturity looks like. Just a few verses later on in the same chapter, Paul writes, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and then to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, To grow in the measure of the fullness of Christ is to be like God in righteousness and holiness. And then, a strange example is used in verse 28. And here's what it says in verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And I think this is a really helpful picture for what maturity looks like. It looks like four stages of growth. Stage number one is do what is evil, any, anyone who has been stealing. Stage number two, don't do what is evil, must steal no longer. Stage number three is do what is useful, but must work doing something useful with your hands. And stage number four is do what is good, that they may have something to share with those in need. So it's a little bit like this. Uh, please, would you join me in welcoming Min to join me for this illustration? Hi, Min. Now, Min and I are about to have a coffee hangout together. We've needed to catch up for a while. So let's start with table number one. This table represents the stage of infancy. Now, I have a baby and my baby, as cute as he is, has not done anything for me. In fact, he's quite the expert at taking. He takes my sleep, takes my time, takes my money. But now imagine a fully grown adult with the ability to do so much more, but still takes like a baby. 
This is our coffee. Give me that. It's really good coffee. Mmm. I think I'm just going to have this. Actually, it's really good coffee. Thanks, man. Stage one is where we just start with taking what we want. And you know, sometimes we imagine evil to be like a, you know, a cartoon character who's all about wreaking havoc in the world. But Romans 2 describes evil as those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil. And so this table is to do what is evil. Our laws are meant to stop us from doing them or to punish us if we do them. But then maybe some of us grow out of that and then we, we grow to table number two. And table number two is the stage that's called don't do what is evil. So let's try again. This is our next coffee chat and I've grown up a little bit. Paul writes, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So let's have a drink. Well, this is for you. This is for me. I think we've grown up a little bit to have our own drink. I'll just mind my own business. Cheers. This is the stage that's characterized by doing no harm. I'm happy. You're ha not so happy. You're happy. But maturity is more than that. So let's go to table number three. And table number three is the table that's called do what is useful. Paul writes, but must work and do something useful with your hands. And now we're getting active with our tools and our talents. I mean, can you help me to make some coffee? We've got some coffee here, um, but we're gonna actually put some work in. Um, so how do we do this? Some powder into the French press. Oh, I'm already causing a mess. This is bad work. But I didn't have really good sleep last night. And let's have some coffee. We're going to pour it in. And see, in stage number three, we're using our effort and our skills to do what is useful. But here's the thing about useful work. Sometimes when it comes to work, what's useful for me may not always be useful for me. And notice how work multiplies what we have. So we have some coffee, but we're going to top up that coffee. Thanks, Min, for working hard. I'm just going to give you a little bit for your effort. I'm going to give myself a lot more. I'm going to pour for more in this one. <laughs> Thanks. And we're going to enjoy the effort of our work. Now, the thing about work is that it's simply effort with a purpose. But good work is different. And we go to stage four. In stage four, we're doing not just what is useful, but what is good. And here at this stage is the place of service. It's the place where we don't just do work, but we do good work. You see, work is effort with a purpose, but good work is effort for a good purpose. We've got enough to share. So we're going to share some coffee right now with a few of our production guys over here. So um, guys, I, I know you've been working really hard. It's the end of our filming day. Why don't you come in and get some coffee here as well. Can't promise you that it's very good, but um, I can promise you that there's some caffeine. So enjoy, guys. Thanks for working so hard, man. Go for it. Oh, thank you. Hey, come on in. Come on in, Sam. Cheers. I wonder if you can see what has changed. 
It's not just that my actions are becoming less selfish, it's also that my growth in maturity has produced more coffee and has contributed to more people beyond myself. It was the law that prevented me from doing what is evil, but it is love that compels me to do what is good. The hallmark of spiritual maturity is works of service done in love. And this brings us to the third way we grow in teams. Firstly, to grow together in unity. Secondly, to grow up in maturity. And thirdly, to grow in love. In verse 15, Paul writes, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Growth looks like speaking the truth in love. But what does that mean? In the same chapter, in verse 25 and verse 29, Paul explains further. First, he says, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. And then in verse 29, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. In other words, what's speaking the truth in love? Don't lie, speak the truth, and don't tear others down with your mouths. Speak with love. You see, we can't grow without truth and love. Great teams can't grow well without truth and love. In 2012, Google ran a a project, a really interesting project called Project Aristotle. And this was a project that was named after that well-known philosopher because of his quote, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. It was a study in teams. And it was a research to answer that age-old question, what makes growing teams? Why are some teams better than others? And you know, this project eventually grew into a two-year study studying about 180 diverse teams across Google in real-life settings. And at first, the researchers began with a set of assumptions about what they thought might be the answer to that great question. And they, they said three things. This was their guess for what makes great teams. Number one, put a few of the high performers on the team. Number two, add an experienced manager. And number three, please give them free pass to all the resources and everything good there is. Free coffee, all the resources, a buffet table for lunch every day, etc. But as the study went on, Google found that this wasn't true at all. No matter how many times they crunched the data, there was no specific pattern of these three things creating great teams. It wasn't the quality of the members. It wasn't even the composition of the team or even the resources that they had. What mattered more was how the team interacted with each other. In other words, it was their culture, not their talent, that drove success. And Google concluded Project Aristotle with these five factors common to growing teams at Google. Psychological safety, dependability, structure and clarity, meaning and impact. Now notice what stands out at the top. Psychological safety. Paul could have told Google that because he wrote, speak the truth in love. That's the key to healthy themes. But also notice what comes second, dependability, a culture that does what it says it will do, a culture of truth. Without truth, we have nothing to stand on. Our unity becomes hollow. We lose our compass toward greater maturity. But without love, our quest for excellence comes at the expense of care. Our unity becomes fractured, and we don't mature to be better, but bitter. If you only speak the truth without love, you speak as an unloving critic. If you only speak love without truth, you speak as an uncritical lover. But if you speak the truth in love, you speak as a loving friend. 
all growth takes place between the ceiling of challenging feedback and the floor of loving care. So how do we grow our teams? How do we grow ourselves? The key, according to Ephesians 4, is through unity, maturity, and love. But what is the fruit of that? I want to close with the story of William Borden, who lived in the early 1900s. William Borden was born to a wealthy family. And as a graduation present, his parents gave him a trip to sail around the world, as you do. As he traveled around the continents of the world, he began to sense a growing burden to reach the nations who didn't know Jesus, to reach them with the good news. And when he came home, he wrote a letter to his parents. I'm going to give my life for the mission field. His friends thought that he was crazy. They thought that he was throwing himself away as a missionary. But when Borden heard that, he wrote two words in his Bible, no reserve. Then at university, Borden matured in his faith. His friends would notice he came to college far ahead spiritually than any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ. In one entry on Borden's journal were these words, say no to self, say yes to Jesus every time. Borden was growing in maturity. He was no longer just living for his own gain. As he studied at university, he began to sense a calling toward the Kansu people of China. And during his undergraduate years at Princeton, he gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to Christian missionaries. Then when he graduated, Borden turned down several lucrative job opportunities. And after one especially tempting job offer, he went home and he wrote two more words in his Bible, no retreat. Instead, he went on to prepare for missions in China. In 1913, news began to spread around the country that there was this gifted young man who turned his back on his wealth and comforts and who was about to give everything up to go to China. And William Borden did go. But on his way, he contracted spinal meningitis and unfortunately, he died a few weeks later in hospital all alone. When news was cabled back to America that this 25-year-old William Borden was dead, a wave of sorrow went round the world. It was said of him that Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself. Many people thought that Borden had thrown his life away. He could have had everything, but instead he had a premature death. As his friends began to pack up his belongings, they found his Bible next to his hospital bed. And there on the front cover, underneath the words, no reserve and no retreat, they saw two new words scrawled as his final edition, no regrets. The life of a person who chooses to grow in unity, maturity, and love is based on the truth of the knowledge of Christ and his love. And it's a life that doesn't hold back. It's a life of no reserve, no retreat, and ultimately a life of no regrets. For as you pour your life out in service to the world that God loves, you will never be outgiven by what you receive in Christ. Amen. So why don't we take a moment right now to pray? I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. You may want to raise your hands uh, wherever you are. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. We just wait for you. We thank you for the gift of your love. We thank you for Christ. And in whatever teams that we're in right now, we pray that you will help us to be an agent of goodness, to do what is good, 
by your strength and power. So fill everyone right now who's watching this in Jesus' name. Amen.